Breaking Bread with Brilliant Babes. I'm your host, Tatiana Jimenez. We're recording today in my tiny studio apartment in San Francisco, and today I'm joined by Eric Garcia. Hi, Eric. Hi, how's it going? Good. (laughs) Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us today. Uh, For any first-time listeners out there, our purpose is to shed some light on everyday people doing brilliant things. I invite them into my home, cook a meal, and then we eat together and chat about their careers and how they got where they are today. Uh, Today we're enjoying red Thai curry with chicken, and our guest is a co-founder and director of a dance company, Detour Dance, located here in San Francisco, as well as an amazing drag performer. So Eric, can you start by telling us a little about what you're doing currently and your career history up until this point? Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. (laughs) Yeah, so like you said, I mainly spend most of my time with my dance company, Detour Dance, in many iterations, primarily as a director. Also, I've performed in the work that we've created, also curate a film festival that we produce, we facilitate and teach workshops. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge part of my life and passion mm-hmm. and, and how I spend my time in San Francisco. And that started back in 2009. I met my friend Kat Cole, who is now my collaborator and co-director. Uh, we met in college at the University of San Francisco, studying performing arts and social justice. Mm. An epic degree. <laughs> um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really, it's a mouthful, but it actually uh-huh. is a really tremendous kind of curriculum. And yeah. It's very specific, but I like it. It is very specific. It makes me think of Yoko Ono. Yeah, that's a great... You know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. And so a huge part of that training is rather than focusing on the sort of technique-based, in addition to that, rather, there's this huge emphasis on community-specific or community-based art. And so engaging with particular communities and, and using performance as this sort of device or tool for dialogue or potential change. And so that manifested in so many different ways. I worked in jails with incarcerated men. I've taught senior adults. I've worked with kids in Peru. I do, I work with trans youth and leading movement classes. And so that was sort of my, my training. That was my first flavor of dance. I didn't grow up doing it. I didn't Mm -hmm. have the, the, the common sort of story of like, oh, I was taking tap jazz and ballet you know like that was never my story um so I had a really unique entry point into dance that's interesting so and when you when you started at USF did you apply to the school with that in mind then or how did that happen totally yeah so when I was in high school I thought I was going to be a visual artist that's what I had intended and so I applied to USF in their visual arts program. Mm-hmm. And then I took one semester of my visual arts courses, and it, like fine arts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was just awful. I really hated it. Okay. Not because of the school, but the realization like, oh, I don't want this to be my career. This is like definitely a hobby. Mm-hmm. This is definitely a, a, a thing that I'm not interested in making money off of. Mm-hmm. And sort of realizing that um, forced me to sort of, especially with this pressure of, being in school and making decisions for the rest of your life, which is horrifying and really strange that we do Mm -hmm. that here. But yeah, so I decided to leave the visual arts program and went into sociology. 
Mm-hmm. And so I started studying sociology for my undergrad. And there was one summer where I, you know, I'll admit that I was watching Say Thing You Can Dance. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's okay. That was my vice. It was like a total uh-huh. secret. And watching that was it was a huge part in why I wanted to take my first dance class. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I signed up for this like beginning modern dance class at my community college Whoa. in San Jose. And I showed up and it was like completely horrifying. And mm-hmm. looking back like that aesthetic is just so far from what I do now. But it was so exciting to just be totally out of my element. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I was like, crap, I should do this at USF, which is where I went to undergrad. Um, so that after that summer, I went back into our dance department and my teacher or the, the department chair was like, uh, you should actually consider exploring this in a much fuller capacity because it's mm-hmm. not common for men to be pursuing dance in college settings it's like a very rare thing unfortunately so she was super excited that I was like hey Mm -hmm. I'm here I'm interested and then from there she like sunk her teeth in my neck and I was just like you're gonna become a dance major and then I changed my degree to a dance major that's so cool I know it was very a very odd series of events Mm -hmm. but yeah Mm -hmm. that's amazing so now so you are a director of a dance company is that is that kind of what your day job is too? Yeah, so the I think it gets a little complicated and mm-hmm. I love the complexity of my, my jobs. <laughs> um, so I would say I would define my sort of work life um, as detour dance being my main thing. Mm-hmm. But my main source of income comes from this other job I have with Fresh Meat Productions, and it's this nonprofit based in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, they do transgender and queer arts programming, which looks like a dance company, a transgender film festival that we produce in the fall, and then this big pride event we produce called Fresh Meat Festival. So I work as okay. a production coordinator with them year round, and awesome. that's my main sort of gig. Uh huh. Yeah. Very cool. So it sounds like you gra- did you graduate in two thousand nine? Like when you? I graduated university in two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. So you you, if I have this correct, mm-hmm. you started your dance company when you're still in college. Yeah, correct. That's so cool. Yeah. I love that entrepreneurial <laughs> spirit. <laughs> That's big. That's a big deal. Yeah, I didn't realize what I was kind of getting mm-hmm. into. But yeah, so like when you when you kind of started the dance company, I, I don't know how big it is. Like, is it a lot of the same people that you started it with? So when we first started the company in two thousand nine, like I said, I met this um, woman, Cat, right, who is now my longtime collaborator. And so mm-hmm. the company then existed as a duet. Okay. And so we were creating work with each other because that was the resources we had, and we would rehearse in classrooms and find spaces that we didn't have to pay for. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we have a a dance studio at USF, but sometimes it wasn't available. So we were just like really creative in how we worked together. Mm -hmm. We couldn't pay people. So the very beginnings of our company was mostly centered around our bodies and our availability. And then as time went on, people started expressing interest in working with Mm -hmm. us. And I was like, oh, cool, sweet. People want to work with us. And then Mm -hmm. it kind of grew and grew. I would say the first five years of our company... Okay. I I identify that as like a test run. Yeah. <laughs> the work that yeah. we were creating was like the bad art you need to make and never look at again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the mm-hmm. the people we were working with were our classmates, and they were really generous and donated their time and and mm-hmm. you know effort into the work. I would say five years ago, because we're coming up on our ten year anniversary. 
five years ago, we sort of formed a group of people that we've stuck with. And there's a consistent group of around eight people that we work with now. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then kind of when did... Because I know that you are also a drag performer. Mm-hmm. So, like, when did that kind of develop? Or when did you decide to explore that um, genre of Yeah, sure. <laughs> For my 25th birthday, I, um, I had always been enamored with drag. It, mm-hmm. it was always this, like, really distant but, like, really shiny, glittery, beautiful thing to look at. Mm-hmm. And kind of scary, like, there was something inside of me that was kind of scared of it. Like, I could never look at a drag queen in the eyes because mm. of a fear of who knows what. You know what? There's, I, I feel that way, too. Yeah. Actually, there's, like, this just, this radiant beauty. There's, <laughs> it's just so, so regal. intense. There's and a reason they're called queens. Yeah. yeah. It's very intimidating. I met Honey Mahogany yeah. wow. at a, just, like, a some kind of fundraiser. But I, I I didn't want to meet her because I was really intimidated. Yeah. But my friend knew I was a fan, and she was like, you have to take a picture with her. And I was like, I don't know what to say. Like, she's just so beautiful. Yeah, no, I totally understand. There was this yeah. sort of like, oh, my God, you are... I mean, there's something that I was really drawn to, and also yeah. like, oh, do I see myself? Like, is, is part of me in that? And that's scary to come mm. to terms with, and uh-huh. you know, because it's not normal. It's sure. not like the common sort of... Mm-hmm way to live life um, or most accepted. Um, So there was a lot, there's a lot packed into that. So for my 25th birthday, I was like, I want all my friends to do drag for me. That was what I wanted. So we like Mm -hmm. rented out this bar in the mission called The Right Spot, which I love. Big shout out to The Right Spot. And we basically just produced this cabaret and all my friends did drag and I showed up in drag. And that was like the very beginnings. And I was like, I spent so much time like researching how to do makeup and I look photos back then. I was just like... Horrid. Just like, <laughs> it was so bad, uh-huh. but so brilliant. And then uh-huh. that was the beginning of my interest in, or sort of like fully kind of like jumping into mm-hmm. drag culture. And now it's developed into this. I host a monthly party in the mission. I've mm-hmm. hosted parties since then at the right spot. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's definitely blossomed into something really beautiful. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> so it sounds like you do a lot of things, but all of them have this, you know, this um, all related to performance mm-hmm. in some capacity. But when was the moment like, in all of this time that you uh, felt that you broke into your industry or role? <laughs> totally. I think for me, there was, like I was saying earlier, there was this period of time after having decided to, quote, like have a company, which I don't even know I knew I was doing that then mm-hmm. in 2009. I knew that I wanted to make work, um, but I didn't really fully understand what being a director of a company was. Mm-hmm. And so the first few works that we made felt very collegiate and exploratory okay. and sort of trial and error and finding my aesthetic and voice and my collaborator and my people. And, you know, it was just very, I was like, okay, how do I, it was also the beginnings of my like dance training. Like I had just started dancing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like learning about performance and dance and also simultaneously developing my artistic voice, which Mm -hmm. is not something I had ever experienced. And so five years into that, there was this piece that I created called filaments. It premiered at Counterpulse in Soma and there was this sort of significant step up 
an aesthetic and mm-hmm. sort of production value and effort and recognition and validation and sort of we were sort of placed on the map mm-hmm. uh, in San Francisco as far as like performance scene goes and it yes. felt like a really significant moment in my career mm-hmm. and so from then on I feel like there has been this sort of I hesitate to use the rep, the word reputation, but there's a mm-hmm. sort of like I have built a name that is recognizable in the yeah. Bay Area, and that that felt like the start of that path. Yeah, would you say that's almost like I don't know if this is the right term to use? But you feel like legitimate? Yeah, I mean, like that <laughs> totally. I mean, like there's a lot there's a lot that goes into being an artist, and a lot of ego, yeah. and a lot of self consciousness, and mm-hmm. but I feel like what I was. I think that show filaments was a a visual validation and representation of what I had always seen and it finally was realized and that was really that was confirmation that I could actually like a tangible affirmation to mm-hmm. receive. Yeah. And so if we want okay. to use the word legitimate, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. I mean, yeah, we should not judge art. I mean, anyone can be an artist yeah. if they want to be an artist. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's great. Along along your journey, did you have a mentor, and are you a mentor to others? Yeah, there's a few mentors that I've had. The first person that comes to my mind is Sean Dorsey, who is also um, my boss, my boss oh. at Fresh Meat Productions. Yeah, okay. so they're this incredible, incredible uh-huh. choreographer, activist, mm-hmm. and I first saw their work when I was an undergrad, and I just remember being so struck and so moved by their work Ooh. in a way that was really exciting because I had like I said I had only been watching Say so You Can Dance mm-hmm. and so my <laughs> reference point was like super commercial super yeah. technical very shallow mm-hmm. very spectacle based and so Sean Dorsey creates work that is rooted in storytelling personal histories bringing life to trans and queer voices and experiences that are not told and so the performance utilizes the sound score of these recorded interviews and he dances to them and it was just like so profoundly deep and beautiful Mm -hmm. and and then also the technique that went into that work Mm -hmm. dance wise was also beautiful so it was a it was a really potent experience Mm -hmm. that I had watching his work and so I sought out that person I was like I want to work for you (laughs) and so he basically took me under his wing Uh um and now I work for him and it's been nine years that I've worked for him but I I I view him as a mentor as far as like administrative go like administration goes arts Mm -hmm. administration Mm -hmm. creative yeah even personal like he's just Mm -hmm. he's become family okay yeah he's a huge person yeah and then, can I also ask, in the drag community, yeah. from what I know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> did you have, when you when you went into drag, were you just, I mean, it sounds like you had your birthday mm-hmm. thing, and you're like, everyone's gonna, you know, do drag for me, which I love, <laughs> um, but, like, along down the road when you decided to start, like, performing and, like, hosting these shows... Did you have a like what they call a drag mother, mm-hmm. or are you a drag mother to others? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like to tell people that my drag mom is YouTube. Okay, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't have a drag mom. 
I'm a, okay. I'm a drag orphan. Okay. Um, like many. <laughs> um, cool. Yeah, I love it. There are a lot of my peers that are drag queens mm-hmm. that don't necessarily have drag moms because yeah. we all sort of discovered it around the same time. And mm-hmm. it's kind of weird to walk up to someone and be like, can you be my drag mom? Yeah, there has to be this sort of natural relationship that mm-hmm. builds out of it. And I wasn't really plugged into the drag scene. Like I said, I was not right. part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as... Yeah, YouTube. I was I'd watch countless, countless videos of like makeup tutorials mm-hmm. and kind of learning different techniques with that. And then also, I already had the performance thing under my belt, so that mm-hmm. felt very natural to me. And I actually yeah. felt like I had a leg up on a lot of other queens just because I had that in me already. It wasn't a mm-hmm. stretch for me to stand in front of a group of, a group of people. Yeah, it's also not common for drag queens to like host parties before they've even like had yeah. a professional career. So I feel like there's like I've done things so sideways most of my life. That's I don't so have cool. yeah, I don't have any drag daughters. Mm-hmm. I'm looking. Uh-huh. <laughs> All you drag orphans out there. <laughs> well, yeah, because um, like the the show that you host, Clutch the Pearls. Mm-hmm. Caitlin and I got to see it a couple of weeks ago, but, um, you know, at shows like that, are there like young people who come up to you and say like, Hey, I want to do this too. Like, does that, do those conversations happen? Definitely. Okay. Yeah. I feel like the, the community that I seek to create and the community that I foster within these events that I host mm-hmm. and, and produce brings people that crave that connection Okay. and, 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 it's not necessarily that they're like, I'm going to go to that because I crave connection and I crave community, but Aww. it draws a certain type of person to come to this drag cabaret, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's not like, oh, <laughs> what do you want to do on Saturday night? Fine wine and a drag show. It's not yeah. like, it's definitely brings in sort of the like underbelly of, mm-hmm. of our community. And I feel like, you know, we're all bearded drag queens. We mm-hmm. are kind of like rough and tumble. We're not, we're not striving to be these like polished female illusionists, you know, right. like, that's not our value system. It's yeah. more about like being radical and weird. And, mm-hmm. um, I definitely have young people come up to me and even like people that are older than me being mm-hmm. like, Hey, that's fucking great. I want to do that too. Like talk mm-hmm. to me about that. And, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. That's terrific. So all of the things we've discussed so far have been very positive, but (laughs) what was your biggest career obstacle so far slash shittiest moment? Yeah, definitely have a lot of shitty moments. Um, I think, you know, not to be (laughs) too calloused, but the choice to really fully commit to being a self-producing artist in the Bay Area Mm -hmm. is a really intense thing to decide to do and not that it's like all shitty obviously if it's all shitty I'm not doing it like I don't want to do it anymore but I feel like there is a lot of you have to develop a lot of patience and resilience and um Mm -hmm. you know self-care around being a self-producing artist because you're applying or I'm applying to grants that I get rejected from producing producing shows that get negative critiques you know Mm -hmm. criticism Mm -hmm. from other artists whatever like financial burden there's just like so much that goes into it in a city that's not designed to support you Mm -hmm. it feels like it's actually pushing you out which is a really frustrating existence so i would say like in in addition to the like the really tremendous things that are happening in my life with drag and performance and you know my work there is this sort of like constant efforted 
Mm-hmm. So like shitty thing that's trying to like keep me from doing it. Mm-hmm. And I try really hard to um, sort of defeat that. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it sounds like kind of almost like your passion hopefully carries you through. It sounds mm-hmm. like it does. It carries you through those like shitty times that yeah. are really frustrating because you're like... It's, you know, you have your, your company or mm-hmm. your performances and that's kind of your baby mm-hmm. and you want to make it happen so bad that you're mm-hmm. doing it and you've done it for nine years and that's really commendable, <laughs> <laughs> especially like how much this city has changed and how difficult totally. it is to just live here of to start with. Um, but yeah, that's really amazing. So yeah, I mean a huge part, like in addition to the, like my passion kind of pulling me forward, I mm-hmm. think a huge, a large part of my success in the city is the people that hold me up. Mm-hmm. It's my company members. It's my work. It's mm-hmm. my family. You know, yeah. I feel like I, it's quite impossible to not, to do this work without the, the, the support that I receive from my community. Mm-hmm. And that is such a huge part of what I do. Mm-hmm. What my interest is in performance and drag, it's not just the opportunity to be on stage. Sure. It's actually yeah. more around cultivating family and community that mm-hmm. I that I need and that it's actually disappearing from San Francisco. Like mm-hmm. queer spaces for Latinos and other POC, mm-hmm. you know, they're disappearing. And so I am yeah. actively creating those spaces because I want to mm-hmm. see more of them. Yes. Yeah. Are you enjoying the podcast? Whether you're listening to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review and or a rating. This helps other listeners find our show in the abyss that is the internet. We'd greatly appreciate it, and thanks so much for tuning in. The next question I have is, what was your biggest opportunity slash best moment? I feel that... There, it's hard to identify like a peak. I feel like I'm still mm-hmm. like figuring my stuff out. Mm-hmm. I would say the past two years have been, you know, if you look at my life on some like sort of graph and mm-hmm. there's like the ups and downs of things, I feel like recently I've been on an up, which feels really exciting. And I'm waiting for the down, I'm waiting for mm-hmm. some flat. But last yeah. year there was, I had, I received this giant commission to create this work in the mission district Mm -hmm. um and it was incredible i got this mentorship program awarded to me i was a fellow at this arts organization there was a lot of like series of events i was a guest choreographer at the conservatory of dance it was a really fruitful year of like doing art and being commissioned to do art and showing up as a choreographer and director that's cool yeah and that's that's also i mean i don't Again, I don't know if this term is... I don't mean to, like, diminish, like, Mm -hmm. artists or, like, quantify Mm -hmm. stuff, but that's very validating, I would imagine. Of course. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Yeah. (laughs) No, absolutely. I was like, holy cow. Like, and, you know, it's... Like I said, it's like the ebb and flow, the Mm -hmm. up and down. Like, this happens to be an uptime for me. I'm getting gigs. I'm getting people asking me to do stuff. That has not been the case all the time. So to have this sort of, like, oh, shit. Like, I got to go to New York with my company last month and work out there, Mm -hmm. you know? I'm going to, I have this show in Yerba Buena Gardens I got asked to do. There's, it was just, there's a lot of opportunity that's happening, which I'm so excited about and so grateful for. On this show, I also like to highlight what I call hidden talents. Huh. So, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> so things that are significant to our lives that we might not add to our resumes or are necessarily work-related. 
So Eric, hmm? what would your what would your hidden talent be? Do you think? You know, <laughs> I'm a simple girl. Um, you know, I have so <laughs> simple girl with many talents. <laughs> you know, I don't hide my talents. <laughs> laying all out there but if i were to have a hidden talent i would choose to develop a hidden talent in baking i feel like i've been so obsessed with learning how to bake bread Mm -hmm. and like i love watching cooking shows and my boyfriend is an incredible chef my friend makes like homemade pastas and breads and i just like love how they geek out about that stuff Mm -hmm. and i'm in my head it's my hidden talent let's just say that okay (laughs) i love that i mean i love bread oh god i love cake it's the worst but best it's so good So we're going to move on to our listener questions. We actually have quite a few, which is very exciting. So the first one that we have is, do you ever feel conflicted about making a living through your creativity? Meaning, do you ever feel like you are creating for what will sell as opposed to what feels right for you? That is a loaded question. It's a beautiful question. (laughs) Um, Yes, there is a lot of tension, I feel, with that. I think there is a healthy balance of both, and I'm, okay. I'm navigating that. I yeah. feel like the successful art that I've witnessed and seen and experienced mm-hmm. is has an element that invites me in. Mm-hmm. I've seen art that is sort of masturbatory and self, sort of like, I I don't need to exist in this room other than the, like, the performers doing this yeah. thing that they, like, have perfected. Mm-hmm. So there is a certain part to the art process where it's like, this is my heart, my soul, this is what I care about, I want you to watch. And then the other reality is you're asking people to come and pay money. You're, in, it's, you're giving mm-hmm. them a, a thing, and it's not, not to, like sort of like diminish the art form into a product but it's like that's actually part of the form is you're inviting folks to digest and chew on Mm -hmm. something so to not consider that is selfish yeah that's true because that makes me think of like like I imagine a lot of your pieces are very conceptual but at the same time because it's dance and when people think of dance they think oh I'm going to be entertained for a little bit so like where does the line fall between art and like like concept and entertainment totally yeah i that's these are all really important things to juggle yeah and yeah I feel like i i seek to create something the way i approach performance mm-hmm. is is more experiential so mm-hmm. i create immersive environments i utilize multidisciplinary collaborations and performers and spaces i perform parks and alleys and buildings and the street and in theaters mm-hmm. So creating experiences for people that they feel challenged by conceptually and thematically and things that they can walk away being like, oh, that was really like challenging and and confusing. I don't understand what that was about. Or like, damn, that was like really yummy and like Mm -hmm. so satisfying. I seek to create those sort of extremes for people. Otherwise, why make art? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why I thought of this, but I remember going to a performance at the San Francisco Ballet, and Mm -hmm. it was like three different pieces, and they were like more modern pieces. Mm -hmm. And I remember one piece, 
I, you know, most of the time with modern dance, I'm like, I don't really know what the story is here. I don't either. But, <laughs> but by the end of it, I was like sobbing and I was like, I don't know why I'm sobbing, but I am. And I guess that was a good performance. Yeah. So. It could have also been the wine you had. <laughs> you know, like, it could have been that. At intermission. Yeah. That could be it. And I had to finish it before I went back to my seat. So, <laughs> so the next question we have is... Um, I know your dance company has a film festival featuring short dance films. Why did you choose this medium as opposed to live performances? That's a great question. So my, yeah, my dance company has a film festival called Tiny Dance Film Festival, and we do it every spring at the Roxy Theater in the Mission. Cool. And we started it because, so the dance film genre 10 years ago was the sort of emerging field there had been a lot of dance films that were created, but it was still new. It was this really curious and um, not super popular genre. Okay. And so Kat and I were really tickled by it as a medium because you get to manipulate perspective and stretch mm, time uh-huh. and place and you get to focus on things. And So that was, personally, it was just a really exciting medium to work in. Yeah. And then... Film has this really incredible thing where you can create something and it can go across the world and you don't have to go with it. Mm-hmm. So the ability to create a piece of art and be able to, on on the administrative side, curate voices and ideas and perspectives from people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. We had opened our call for submissions the very first year. We were expecting like 10 people, like 10 of our friends to be like, I made my iPhone film. Yeah. Here you go. We received over 300 films. Oh my god! And now we're receiving over a thousand films. And it's oh insane. Like people want their work to be seen. It's a really wow. thriving, budding field and genre and it's a really Mm -hmm. there's a lot that you can do with film that you can't do with live performance Mm -hmm. and i think it's an exciting place to be right now so that's happening in the spring yeah it happens every march yeah march 2019 okay Mm -hmm. got it the next question we have is what advice do you have for folks who may be interested in dance or drag but feel like they are too old that is ridiculous That is the most ridiculous question I've ever heard. That's what I say to that. I feel okay. like, you know, <laughs> like next question. Next. No, I mean, I'm, I, I, I teach dance to 98 year olds. Like what oh is too gosh. old? What, how old yeah. are you? Person that asked that question. Like it is never too old to dance. Mm-hmm. That is such, um, there's a, there's a buffer that you're putting up. There's mm-hmm. a, a barrier that you're creating that is not necessary. Yeah. You know, like doing it will reveal so much, even if it's in front of a mirror or with a friend over a glass of Mm -hmm. bubbly rosé, like Mm -hmm. whatever, just start doing it and seek out people that encourage you to do it. Like it's not, it's not this like weird foreign thing. We all have bodies. We all Mm -hmm. are embodied people. We should move it. We move every day. I started going to Zumba again. Yes. And... It's so much fun to <laughs> to just watch the the older ladies in the class you know? because they're having the time of their lives. And, and you're jealous. And I'm, I'm, yeah, and I'm over here trying to like do the exact choreography that the instructor is doing, and they're just in the back, like they're living their life. They They've figured it out. Yeah, and yeah, just, yeah. No qualms. That's fantastic. It's amazing. So the next question is. What was the best drag performance you've ever seen? 
Ooh, child, I've seen a lot of drag. I would say, I wouldn't say this is the best drag performance. I feel like I've seen a lot of really tremendous drag, and I feel like San Francisco is very special, and that the drag that happens here Mm -hmm. is like, is it. It is so beyond RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes, and it, there's it like is. There's, it's political. It's <laughs> grimy. It's important. It's so many cool yeah. things. Mm-hmm. I saw this one queen. Her name is Fatima Rude, and she's a legendary <laughs> queen here in San Francisco. Uh-huh. And she stapled dollar bills to her head, Ooh. and it was just so because you, you know like you go to the drag show you tip queens yeah. and she was taking her tips oh. and just stapling them to her body mm-hmm. and i was just like holy shit this yeah. is radical mm-hmm. like talk about radical queer art mm-hmm. that rocked my world because i had mm-hmm. seen a lot of like i'm gonna lip sync to britney spears and Katy perry which is cool mm-hmm. over there and then over here is this other really incredible mm-hmm. sort of pocket of people that are doing yeah. Insane stuff. So that was definitely a, a drag show that I always sort of, mm-hmm. or a drag number I replay in my head. I'm like, yeah. damn, that yeah. is some potent stuff. I just realized that we haven't even talked about what your your drag name is. <laughs> so, like, how do people find you? Which we're going to get into later when we talk about plugs, but. <laughs> yeah, so my drag name is Churronomi. Hi, as a con. Or I say. Churro, no me. Oh. If I have to be gringo then, about yeah, it, you then know, you don't get the joke. The, then yeah, you don't get it's the joke. awful. It's <laughs> the worst when you say your name and someone's like, "Huh?" Like they don't get it, and you're yeah. like, oh, "God damn it!" That's... It might just be like a Latino. <laughs> yeah, no, I it's don't know. Fine. Yeah, but yeah, it was funny because when I first saw your your drag name, I read it and I was like. Okay, that's cute. But then I said it with an accent, and I was like, oh my god, I get it now. It makes sense. <laughs> I have to give credit. I feel I have to give credit to my brother, who's also a homosexual. Hi, Danny. Um, <laughs> he gave me that name, and I stole it. He gave me it, and I uh-huh. happily took it. Yeah. I didn't steal it. That's Thank you. That's great. That's yeah. great. The next question is, who or what are influences for your drag persona? Yes. Um, so... Right off the bat, I think of really glorious Latina divas. I think Mm -hmm. of Celia Cruz. I think of my grandmother. Uh I think of La Lupe, who's this incredible Cuban singer. I think of Carmen Miranda, who's Chiquita Banana. I think of, you know, just like really, like, ridiculously cheesy, campy, Broadway, Mm -hmm. Latina goodness mm-hmm. yeah those are some and like rupaul speaking of like rupaul's like i would say like i'm inspired by like bianca del rio and valentina and like uh-huh. those sort of like really i'm like bianca del rio and valentina had a dirty baby yes. <laughs> with a beard and that's me <laughs> i can see that actually <laughs> that makes sense this is me dreaming big if you ask any drag queen uh-huh. it's they're like what no <laughs> Try again. No, I think that's a good <laughs> Lastly, we have, if you weren't working in dance or drag, what other types of work would you pursue or be interested in? I think my my first thought is some sort of, like, therapy. I feel like I'd be Ooh. really into doing some sort of either somatic therapy, mm-hmm. good old-fashioned therapy. I feel like that's something I'm yeah. always interested in. I feel like... I have, I feel like I am inclined towards, like, 
empathy and listening mm-hmm. to people's stories and helping people process stuff. I feel yeah. like that is something I've always considered as a career path. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the next question we have is, you know, in in doing the drag performance, what have you learned new things about yourself, like exploring this, you know, character? Yeah. The opportunity to sit down. I take a very long time to, to become churro. It takes me a very long time. Most queens I talk to, they say it's like an hour and a half, two hours to like do makeup, get in the costume. I like to, it's, it's more of a ritual for me. Mm-hmm. I sit down, I dedicate like four or five hours. I sit down, get a glass of whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And I spend time just kind of like talking to my boyfriend, listening to music. It's fun. I don't, I don't treat it like a job. It's mm-hmm. it's not I don't make money off of being a drag queen. Mm-hmm. I mean I do. But mm-hmm. I don't it's not like I clock in, clock out. Yeah. So for me it's this ritual and exercising um these the all of the intersecting identities I have mm-hmm. of being queer, being Latino, being an artist, mm-hmm. being, you know, a lover, being a brother to another queer brother, and it's just like it it's so many parts of me that I get to actually embody and become Mm -hmm. and it's rare to do that and it's hard to access that in my normal life Mm -hmm. um it's not impossible but it's a really it's kind of like putting on a Halloween mask where you're like oh it's or like a hat or a pair of shoes Mm -hmm. you're wearing stilettos you're gonna behave differently than wearing flip-flops you know so it's a it's a really quick embodiment of something um, different than your normal life. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that churro is anything, you know, it's not fabricated. There's a certain amount of, like, entertainment and performance that happens, mm-hmm. but I would say it's not, you know, it's still me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's coming from yeah. me. It's not like I'm, like, possessed. Yeah. Like, there's the, there's a lot of information that I have access to that I don't know how to access when I'm not in, mm-hmm. in drag. Yeah, it's it's a really tremendous experience, and I recommend yeah. it for anyone just to like uh-huh. sit down in your room by yourself one day and just kind of like cake on that makeup mm-hmm. and see what happens. And it's like in putting on a wig and a dress, or not even a dress, like anything, mm-hmm. any like mixture and conglomeration of yeah. boas and feathers and glitter and nothing, and mm-hmm. and it, you, you you kind of like become this passenger, and it's exciting. Yeah. Caitlin, I think we need to do this. We need to go to Miami. <laughs> We're going to go to Miami. Yes. We're going to take some wigs. <laughs> You're going to eat some plantains and drink Cuban coffees. And... Yes. I don't know why it needs to be in Miami, but that just feels right. <laughs> because Cuba is yeah. close to Miami. It's true. That's true. All right. Yeah, so all of that was great. So I, like, I always like to ask my guests um, before we end the episode... What are you looking forward to this week? Great. That's a great question. So my company, we do monthly workshops. And I think June 9th, there's a workshop that we're hosting. Okay. Um, In the Mission District, if you go to detourdance.com, we have a list of upcoming workshops. And I'm super excited about that. And then the first Sunday of every month is my drag cabaret that I host in the Mission of the Makeout Room. Awesome. Those are two uh-huh. very uh, tangible events you can come to. Yes. Mark it on your calendar. Cool. We yeah. will put all the links on the website. And then lastly, well, which we can talk more about, but do you have anything you would like to plug? 
And also, like, are there places in San Francisco that you would recommend people check out to see drag performances or even dance performances? Yeah, a good resource for dance shows, there's this organization called Dancers Group, dancersgroup.org. They have an online calendar of all Bay Area performance, and I utilize it every single week. Cool. It has a really, it's a tremendous resource. So go there to, to find out about dance shows. ODC is also... A, a, I love ODC. ODC is a great, yeah. it's a great organization. Uh-huh. Not only because they have a dance company, but they're a hub for so many artists and so many artists go through there and present work there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it. I mean, it's a, it's on 17th and Shotwell and it's a really beautiful theater and um, you should check them out. And then for drag, I mean, geez, you like, it depends if you're looking for some like really rad gritty stuff go to soma there's the stud and for you know your good old-fashioned polished drag go to the castro grace mm-hmm. towers hosts a show at moby dick every wednesday night i you know major props to grace tower she's kind of been one of my mentors as well she's an incredible performer and drag queen mm-hmm. um, yeah so those are two spots you can check out some drag Sweet. yeah great Well, Eric, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. It's been great. (laughs) To learn more about Eric and other topics we've covered on this episode, head over to our website, brilliantbabespodcast.com, where you can also listen to previous episodes, check out our event calendar, and get the recipes for the dishes we make for each episode. Today's recipe was red Thai curry with chicken. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and stay tuned for episodes every other Tuesday. Take care, everyone.